If you have your own copy of God's Word, you can open it or you can follow along on the screen. Psalm 19, verses 12 to 14. Let's hear God's Word together today. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. You can be seated. Let's pray. Father, thank you for continuing to speak day after day, age after age. God, we certainly have not merited your voice proclaimed to us as it has been. And so, God, we, we thank you for the gift of grace that it is to know you. Thank you, God, that you continue to proclaim your glory morning after morning, evening after evening, night after night, sky above, earth beneath. God, all of it is singing, rejoicing in your glory. And you, God, God you have given us uh, more than just creation. You have given us your word so that we may know not just abstractly, but specifically who you are and what you have accomplished for us. God, thank you for providing a way for us to be redeemed, for bringing us into your family by your grace and the work that you've given us to repent and believe. God, thank you that we get to follow you in obedience, the joy of obedience to you. And God, even as we see in your word today, we pray that you would cleanse us, forgive us and cleanse us, for where we have fallen short. I ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. We are in Psalm 19 today, but I actually want to flip over to Isaiah chapter 6 to show you something that I think is similar to what David experienced in Psalm 19 that Isaiah experienced in Isaiah chapter 6. And my prayer is that you would experience, if you have not already, even today. Isaiah chapter 6 is where Isaiah gets a revelation from God. He gets a vision from God, and it's a pretty mighty one. He is going to the temple, and oddly enough, just as you probably would not expect to actually see the Lord today, Isaiah was not expecting what he saw. Isaiah chapter 6 starts with, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. Just imagine coming to church today and seeing visibly the Lord and what that would do to you. Imagine being able to see God. We, we don't get a whole lot of descriptions of what it was that Isaiah saw, but he says somehow he knew this was the Lord. When he saw him, he was sitting on a throne. He is king after all, is he not? He is Lord of Lords reigning over all things. And it was not just some small measly throne. It was a throne that was high and lifted up. It's an image of His glory and His splendor. Isaiah sees the Lord and he sees Him as glorious. And he has a train. You know how, how royalty wears these long trains. And it wasn't just any kind of train. It filled the entire temple. It was so massive, it, it filled the whole space. An image of his, of his glory and His majesty being to the ends of the earth, even as we see in a moment. There was these angelic beings. The, 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 the glory of the Lord was so spectacular, somebody had to be proclaiming how great it was. And so there were these angelic beings, these, these seraphim, and they had six wings. 
Two of them, they're covering their eyes. Two of them, they're covering their feet. With two, they're flying. They, they can't even stand to look directly at the Lord because He is so holy. And as they have with their mouths the voice to sing, they proclaim, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. The only attribute of God in the Bible repeated three times. He's not just holy, but He's holy, holy. And He's not just holy, holy, but He's holy, holy, holy. Proclaiming the majesty of God. The, 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 the atmosphere was so, so majestic that the very building they were in couldn't, could barely take it. It says that the foundations of the temple shook and it was filled with smoke. That's what Isaiah got to see. That's the vision of the Lord, the, the, the way he tries. I mean, it's like he's grasping for language to try to describe to you what he's seen. And one of the ways we know this was a, a, an authentic experience, that, that he really did get to have a vision of the Lord, is how he responded. And I want to make a case that it's very similar to the way that David responds in Psalm 19. And therefore, I, I believe it's how you and I should respond as well. Isaiah says this, Woe is me. Woe is me. For I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah's vision of the Lord is so grand, so majestic, so wondrous about how God is that he sees himself and recognizes how sinful he is. The glory of God is immediately contrasted with his own sin. That's how you know you really saw God. That's how you know you really experienced God for who he is, is you say, I'm not like him. I see him just a little bit as, as he is, and I recognize I don't measure up. That's one way you know you really saw God. You really had an experience with the Lord. In David's account in Psalm 19, something pretty similar happens. We've been kind of slowly walking through. I, weeks ago, planned to just preach one sermon in Psalm 19, and it didn't happen. <laughs> just too much, too much goodness there, which could be said, I guess, every week. This, today could be three sermons, I guess, again. But anyway, we are going to finish it, Lord willing. And as in, in Psalm 19, David similarly has a vision of the glory of God. It's a little bit different. He's not walking into a temple this time. This time, he's walking out under the sky, perhaps during the day, because he sees the sun streaking across the sky, and he's just blown away by the glory of God. The day, it says, the heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims his handiwork. Verses 1 to 6 describe how the sky is preaching. It's proclaiming without words just how majestic and wonderful God is. Whereas Isaiah sees the Lord on a throne, David sees the splendor of the sky, the clouds that billow from day to day, wisping in and out, the dark thunderclouds that roll in, the, the great ways that, that God displays His majesty in all the earth. The lightning, the rainbow, and the stars. Oh, the stars and their splendor night by night, if we only have eyes to see how glorious God is. David sees that and then without taking a breath, rolls into immediately proclaiming God's glory in a different place. 
Now in his word, the law, he says, the the commandments of the Lord are are perfect. They are right. They are just. They are a a rock-solid reality beneath his feet. And he is grateful not just for the sky above, but for the commands that have been spoken by the Lord. He can hardly stand it as he's proclaiming the glory of God in his word. And he says, this is better. This word, the, the word spoken by God, it is better than much fine gold and sweeter than honey. He has an experience. He's, he's before the Lord and he's proclaiming his excellencies. He's explaining and, and extolling the glory of God. And how do you know it was real? How do you know this really, that he really was meeting with the one true God? It's because the very next thing he sees is his own sin. He sees how great God is and that I am not like him, that he is not like me. There's a difference between us. He is holy and I am not. Verse 12, he says, Who can discern his errors? My my sins are so many, I can't possibly name them all. Declare me innocent for my hidden faults, God. I need to be cleansed. I recognize I don't deserve to be in your presence. That's how you know he really was meeting with God because he saw that he is not like him. I, I wonder if you've ever been there, if you've ever experienced God in such a way that it overwhelms you with how great he is and equal and opposite overwhelms you with how not great we are. That's how you know you've met God. If you come away from meeting God saying, I'm a really good person, you met with somebody else. You didn't meet with God. Because when you see God for who He is, you recognize He's not like us. He's far better. Far better. We cannot encounter the holy God and leave His presence thinking we're decent people. If you experience the Lord, you experience and you're aware of your own sin. That's one of the ways you know you met the right one. I I remember in high school... At a, at a camp, maybe, um, I know Chris Tomlin and Louis Giglio did a, a, a tour back, this is probably early 2000s, so maybe somebody else happened to see the same, same talk when Louis Giglio gave an indes- the message is called Indescribable, about how, indes- how indescribable God is. One of the places I learned just to appreciate astronomy and the majesty of God. And I, and I came away from that message, and he, I, I went back and found it, of course it's on YouTube now, and uh, he starts with Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God. And I remember that day feeling just so incredibly small and so incredibly dirty and yet so incredibly grateful for a Savior who redeems even people like us. That, that feeling of smallness, that feeling of, of filth that I, I don't measure up is where you, where you got to go first in order to be brought out. I pray that either previously and sometime in your life, or maybe just in the last couple sermons in Psalm 19, or if not before today, you would meet the one true God, that you would know Him in all of His glory and all of His majesty and all of His splendor. And one of the ways you know you've really met with Him is that you become overwhelmingly aware that we don't measure up to Him. Rejoice in how great He is. Rejoice in the fact that He has spoken to us and then mourn our own sin. David, as he explains and proclaims God's glory, he's really just preaching in the first parts of the psalm. He's teaching about how great God is. 
But then he ends with a prayer. It's the first time he gets a, a command, a request. He knows he needs something. And he asks, declare me innocent. I need, I need something. He ends with a prayer because he knows he is in need. And so you'll see in our message today, all three of these points are all prayers to pray when we've seen the holiness of God. So we can start our prayer like David does this way. Pray for God to search you, to search you for hidden and haughty sins. Pray for God to search you for hidden and haughty sins. And here's what I mean by it. Listen to the way the psalm dives deep into our sins. It begins by speaking of our hidden faults, our hidden sins in verse 12. And by that, he does not mean that we, we don't know what we did, that we forgot. We had amnesia and we just didn't remember the things that we've done wrong. He's, that's not the idea of hidden sins here. What he's saying is that, that what we've done, it's not secret from other, it's not, it's not forgotten to us. It's not secret from other people. What he's saying is, for one reason or another, we didn't recognize that what we did was sinful. But now that he is before God, he recognizes, I've probably done a whole lot that has not measured up to God's standard. My, my sins are probably way more, uh, way more numerous than I even imagined. And so deep in me that, that they pervade even my good actions. And so things that I'm doing, I'm not even aware of how sinful I am. So he's praying, declare me innocent from hidden faults. I, I didn't know how sinful I was. As you dive deep into your own hearts and motives, I, I hope you've seen this before. We can make the best of outward actions sinful by the intentions of our hearts. Can we not? We can take serving people, doing good things, giving away money, meeting needs, loving others. We can do those things for the wrong reasons. And that is a, a wickedness that is deep in us, is it not? It's one thing to correct just the bad actions, but to try to get to the level of doing the good things for the right reasons, now that's deep, and that's hard, and that's challenging. Having been in some kind of, you know, church position for almost a decade now, where like literally my ministry is public, I'm convinced it is really hard to do anything publicly with completely pure motives. You may try to, but you can't help but wonder about how you're perceived. can't help but wonder about what you do on stage and how that might be to your benefit some way. How do you, how do you proclaim the gospel or teach a class or do a face-to-face -face discipleship in some way without being tempted by pride? It's hard. It's hard to have fully pure motives. And so we pray, the only thing I know to do is to pray along with David for, for, for healing and forgiveness for hidden faults. Bad motives can ruin all kinds of good actions. Maybe another way our, our sins can be hidden is that we just don't feel conviction for them yet. E either we've, we, we just don't know the, the Word of God yet well enough to, to see the ways they are sinful, or maybe God just hasn't, you haven't spent enough time with the Lord or, or something, you've just kind of swept some things under the rug. Maybe your, your, your language or, or something else you do, you just, you just don't think it's really that sinful, so you don't worry about it, you know? Or maybe just the culture says, hey, it's, it's okay. It, it, we, this conversation at one point started out lighthearted, but we, we decided this is, you know, as parents, this was going to be who we are. We decided early on in parenting, we're not going to lie to our kids. 
If you've been parents long, more than like, you know, 15 minutes, you know that's a really hard promise to keep. Kids ask a lot of questions. And it is really hard not to lie to our kids. And, and yet we've decided, you can call it a white lie, blue, we can give it whatever kind of color you want, but the ninth commandment still says don't lie. So we're gonna not lie to our kids. Do you lie to your kids? I'm sure we have, but we try not to. Do you have things in your life that you just say, I'm, I'm, I'm just okay with this sin? Is it, is it hidden to you? Or do you, you don't even call it a sin, it's hidden. I just, I'm okay with doing this thing. Are we willing to say, I, I want God to search me all the way down to the things that are hidden? Or maybe something is hidden, not because you bad motives or just don't feel conviction of it. Maybe it's just so characteristic to who we are that, that it's, it's a default for us. How do you, how do you spend the extra time that you have? Is it honoring to God? What do you do with any extra income that you may have? Does it honor the Lord? Are you glorifying the Lord with the way you spend your money? What kind of TV do you watch? Or what do you do with your social media? What do you do with, with um, uh, jokes that you tell? How, how all the way down to, to the very minutes you spend, all the details of our lives, have we been allowing God, do we allow God to search every minute of our day, every decision that we make, every habit that we have, every dollar we spend, every responsibility we take on, every single word out of our mouth? Do we let God search all of those things? One of the ways you've really met with God is you put it all on the table. My whole life, God, I want it all on the table. Let there be no hidden faults. Search all of these, God. It's the, the emptying of our pockets, so to speak. The emptying of our bank accounts. The, the display of, here's my, here's my bank statements. Here, here's how I've spent my time. Here's, it's all before you, God. He can see it anyway, of course, you know, right? At least be honest. Search me for my hidden sins. David knows that's not just the only way he sins and we sin. We also have presumptuous sins is how the ESV translates it. Verse 13, other translations say willful sins, deliberate sins, arrogant sins. So it's not just that we sin in, sin in ways that are kind of hidden, either from ourselves or whatever else it may be. But we also sin in haughty ways, that is arrogant ways, just bold and brash, I know this is wrong and I'm doing it anyway kind of ways. Some of us have been around the Bible just long enough to know there's things that we do that are sinful, and sometimes we just don't care. We're just going to do it anyway. How, do you, how, are you, how are you, how is your life before the Lord? Can, do you have places like that where you said, you know, if I'm honest, I just have kept boldly sinning even though I know it's not okay? What kind of stuff do you look at online? What kind of images do you looking for? Maybe you know about your mouth and language you use, and you're just okay with it. How do you treat people around you? How do you treat your spouse? How do you treat your coworker, your parents, your kids? Are you willingly living in a way that is disobedient to God's commands and just deciding, I'm going to just live with the consequences of it? How are you following the Lord with your life? What kind of tone and content do you post online? Is it Christ-like? What's your relationships to various substances or any kind of things? Are you willfully holding on to an addiction? 
God's Word calls us to allow Him to search our lives, hidden and brash. What, how are we living? God's Word is like the sun described in verse 6. The sun, the, the, the literal sun, it talks about how the heat searches every corner. C.S. Lewis talks about how the, the, surely David would have had all, this is, this is the Middle East, this is desert. He'd have had plenty of experience with hot sun. Imagine the sun going to every, there, there are places there's no shade. It's just heat everywhere. I think that's coming in our weather this week. You can just think about it as the sun is bearing down on you. That's how, that's how God's word can be piercing deep and far reaches. There's, there's no shade or shadow. God's word reaches into all of it. And so he convicts us of sin. If somebody has truly met the Lord, they invite that kind of searching, that kind of sun being, being poured into their lives so that nothing is hidden. We don't want to go on hiding sin or arrogantly continuing in sin because we have met the holy God and He's offered us something better. Whatever else we're holding on to, we're saying, this is the fine gold, this is the sweet honey of my life. And God's saying, no, 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 i got something better than fine gold. I've got something better than the sweetest of honey. Can you pray in a way that says, search me, God. Search me, God, for all the hidden and haughty sins. It's a dangerous way to pray. Painful, perhaps. Challenging, perhaps. But a very good way to pray. When David came to see his own sin, as he's marveling at the majesty of God, he wants to see it first, but then he knows he, he needs help handling it. And the ways he asks God to handle it, again, are twofold. Pray for forgiveness and freedom from our sin. Pray for forgiveness and freedom from our sin. Verse 12, he says, he prays, declare me innocent. Again, in verse 13, he speaks of being blameless and innocent of great transgression. He sees the sin in his life. He sees the danger, the hidden and the presumptuous sin. And he knows that a holy God cannot be with this sin. Something's got to be done. If he's going to continue in relationship with God, something has to be done with this sin. And so he asks God to be the one to deal with it. I, I can't do it. I'm the sinner. I'm the one that made the problem. So I can't fix the problem. I need help fixing the problem. The guy that showed you that there is a problem, he's the one that can fix the problem. So he comes to God asking for forgiveness. That is that somehow God would not hold him accountable for his sins. That somehow God would look at a sinful person and say, not sinful. He would look somehow at a guilty person and say, innocent. That was David's request. It's kind of a bold request, David. A little audacious, don't you think? The guy who's done all kinds of sinful, we don't know when David wrote this. He could have, by this point, done a whole lot of terrible things. And yet he's standing before God, standing before the stars and the sun, standing before the perfect and pure, holy commands that he's been given, and he's saying, declare me innocent. That's his request. He's asking for God to bring forgiveness. We can hear all kinds of things about God in that request, can we not? For one, God is holy and pure. If God wasn't, then David wouldn't need forgiveness. He's asking because he knows that something is separating them, and God's holy and God's pure. He's also just. He, he's, he, he knows that this sin must be dealt with. We, we hear that, that David believes 
God has the power and the authority to forgive sin. It's a pretty big thing to believe. And we can hear that David would would at least ask that maybe God would actually desire to get rid of his sin. Somehow David believed God didn't like the sin, wanted to deal with it, had the power, had the desire to handle his sin. David had a right and good perception of God's character. He just didn't quite have the, the, the perspective we have, this side of the New Testament, to see how God just did just those things. God does, in fact, make a way for our sins to be forgiven and for us to be reconciled. Just as of David's life, it hadn't happened yet. But by our time, it has. The New Testament tells us how God did just that. Romans 3.23, perhaps you've heard, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. No doubt about that, David and us included. Verse 24 says, and are justified, that is, counted as innocent. Declared not guilty. That's the very request David had. He said, I I want to be declared innocent. How did that happen? All are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood. That is, on the cross, all the wrath you and I deserved, all the punishment we deserved, instead of it being poured out on us for all who believed in Christ, were poured out on Christ. The ones that were declared guilty, now on the one who was innocent, God looked at him and said, you will take on the guilt of all of my children. The only way that we who are sinners can be declared innocent is that one who was innocent was declared guilty in our place. That's what David asked for. And that's what Christ accomplished. God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance, He had passed over former sins. It was to show His righteousness at the present time so that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. God is not unjust. He will not let sin go unpaid for. All sin will be paid for either by the one who has committed the sin or by Christ in our place. He is just and He is the justifier and He declares the, innocent, uh, declares the guilty innocent if they have faith in Christ. David was looking forward to the cross. You and I can look back to the cross and say, praise God, He has made a way for me to be declared innocent. He is glorious. He is gracious. And He has made a way out of your sin. We need forgiveness. We have a record of debt that needs to be handled. David prayed for it. Christ provided it. God is holy and we are not. And apart from that gift of His righteousness, we would only deserve condemnation. And with the innocence that is given, we can instead enjoy His presence. David knew he needed it. And I hope you do too. Because it's available by grace through faith. I want you to see that's not the only thing David asked for with his sins though. Perhaps you think about sin being forgiven, been around the church, around the Bible. Maybe that's not not foreign to you. But I hope the next prayer is, is similarly not foreign to you. Verse 13, he says, Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins, and let them not have dominion over me. David's prayer was twofold. He prayed for forgiveness, and he prayed for freedom. He prayed for forgiveness, and he prayed for freedom from sin. 
He asked for forgiveness for all the things he's done in the past. But if his heart was still stuck on that sin for all things moving forward, he would still be bound to it. He would still be captive to it. So he's asking for something more than just forgiveness in the past. He's asking for freedom going forward. Keep me back. Prevent me. Don't let me keep walking in these presumptuous, arrogant, haughty sins. Don't let me continue to live a lifestyle this way. Forgive me for what I'm done, but don't let me keep doing them because then I'm still stuck. I'm still in the same rut. And don't let them have dominion over me. That, that word dominion shows up a number of times in your Bibles. One of them is all the way back to Genesis chapter 1. Do you remember the job that we were given before the fall, before the whole apple and serpent thing? Fruit. My roommate in college corrected me. It's not an apple. We don't know what it was. Some kind of fruit. Genesis 3. Do you remember what our job was? God said, Genesis 1, 26, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, birds of the air, livestock, etc. We were created to rule and to reign, kind of as God's vice presidents of the earth. He's in charge for sure. He doesn't stop being in charge, but He gave you and I a job. We're supposed to rule, to have dominion, to have authority over the earth. Did you hear what David prayed for? Please don't let sin have dominion over me. Because what has happened since the fall is that we who were supposed to be in charge end up being ruled by all kinds of other things, do we not? We are stuck, apart from Christ, we are enslaved to our sin. Do you recognize that? Do you recognize the lack of freedom that you have apart from Christ? Were it not for Christ, you and I would continue shackled in sin. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. So you and I would be shackled to, enslaved to our sin. Perhaps you've seen the way sin can take over and ruin a life. A literal addiction is a very tangible example of that. Anytime somebody has some kind of literal addiction, it's not like they can just immediately switch gears. God does that, I guess, for some people. But most of the time, some kind of literal addiction is... It, it takes some kind of process. It takes somebody from the outside stepping in to help them and lead them out of that addiction. You can't just flip it off. Sin is far more than any kind of substance addiction. It is an enslavement that we cannot break on our own. We have to confess sin is not just a bad habit. It is a captor. We are stuck in it. David prayed in verse 13 that God would prevent him from committing arrogant, haughty, presumptuous sin because he knew the danger that if he continued in them, it would just continue to rule over him, to have dominion over him. If we deliberately choose against God over and over and over again, we are stuck in, an, in, a, in a, a pattern, a cycle we can't break. We need somebody to come break it for us. So you can see that we need more than just forgiveness. We need forgiveness, but we also need freedom. We need redemption. We need to be brought out of that captivity. I remember reading Spurgeon's notes on one of my favorite chapters in the whole Bible, Psalm 113. Psalm 113 prays that God would forgive our iniquity and heal our diseases. And Spurgeon compared that to being somebody who, was, who had a, a death sentence because of a, a crime they had committed, perhaps a murder. And they are on death row. And while they're on death row, they're diagnosed with some disease that is life-threatening and, and going to take over their body. So even if they get a, a presidential pardon for all the sins they've ever committed, 
unless they also have a physician, they're going to die either way. you got to have both. The sin, the past can be taken away, but if the heart isn't changed, we are still captive. We are still dead in our sins. David prays for both. He prays for forgiveness and he prays for freedom. Or maybe your, your credit is, a, is a, an example you would stick with. I hope this doesn't apply to you. But imagine somebody has got really bad credit. Really, really bad credit. Maybe a defaulted loan and some bad credit card debts. If you had somebody come step in, a benefactor, an inheritance somehow, and just paid off all your debts, do you know what Equifax and TransUnion would do? They'd say, all right, that's a step. But your credit score doesn't change overnight, does it? It takes time. There has to be, could be, why? Because you have proven, somebody with a, a long history of bad credit cards or whatever else it may be, has proven that this is their character, that they're going to have a hard time handling money. So we need both the forgiveness and a change of heart, change of habit. And God, by His Holy Spirit, offers both. A record wiping clean and a change of heart, a change of actions, a change of the way we actually live. Declare me innocent and let them not have dominion. Don't let them rule. Don't let them have their claws so stuck in me that I can't get out. If sin is clawing its way at my heart all the time, even without a, a bad record, I'm still stuck in sin. I need freedom and forgiveness. In theological terms, we need imputed righteousness and personal righteousness. We need positional holiness and the, pro the process of holiness. We need definite sanctification and progressive sanctification. And praise God that He offers both. Romans 6, 6, we know that our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. He got rid of it. He crucified it. And now we are set free from it. Romans 6, 17, thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were commanded. Let them not have dominion over me. That's what David longed for. That's what Christ accomplished for us. He forgives us and he sets us free. Sin no longer reigns over those who are in Christ. Sin is no longer what we seek after. We're no longer seeking the prince of the power of the air. We've been given a new master, a new Lord, a new Savior, and He's the one we seek. Sin no longer reigns. He, we are set free. Pray for forgiveness and for freedom, which then leads us to the final prayer from Psalm 19, which is our memory verse for this month, one I hope you have considered some already. Psalm 19:14. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. So the third and final prayer for this morning, I hope you see how this this flows all from the same heart, the same desire. Pray for exter excuse me, <coughs> external and internal holiness. Pray for external and internal holiness. His prayer is for a very deep cleansing and transformation. In light of the glory of God and how majestic He is and His splendor and the sun of His Word that goes into every shadow and every corner, He doesn't just want pretty words to come out of His mouth. Jesus encountered some people like that. They were Pharisees. Not, not necessarily the, the best, uh, best group in the New Testament. When Jesus encountered them, He compared them to a whitewashed tomb. 
man, you look nice and clean on the outside. On the inside, you're full of dead bones. Jesus knew how to throw an, throw an insult, didn't he? <laughs> Let the words of my mouth, the outside, and the meditations of my heart, the inside, be acceptable in your sight. We need both. He prays that God would, yes, clean up my act on the outside, but if all I've got is some flowy actions and a disastrous heart, then I'm still stuck in sin. I need forgiveness, and I need a transformation. And that transformation needs to go far more than just on the outside. It needs to go deep within my soul. This is a, a common way the Bible speaks. He, Jesus says, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Does it not? You can hide up your words for a little while, but eventually you're going to say the things you're thinking. God has invited us to pray for both the words and the meditations, the things we do and the things we think. Where, where, what has your mind captive right now? When you get a quiet moment alone, when you're not forced to be doing something else, what is it that your mind's working on? My mind's always working on something, trying to build something, put something together, some kind of puzzle I'm figuring out or plans I'm making. What is it that captivates your mind? Is it a righteous and holy and good pursuit? Or is your mind just captivated with pride or lust or impure thoughts or selfish desires? What is it that goes deep inside your soul that just, that's where your soul's at? God invites you to pray not just that your act would be cleaned up, but that your heart would be changed, your soul would be changed, the meditations of your heart, even that would be acceptable in His sight. I wonder if you're there. Do you desire those things? Do you want what David prays for here? Is that a desire that is in your heart? Or are you content with just continuing on in our own kind of mediocrity, semi-Christian ways? Or are we willing to submit it all, to empty the pockets, lay it all on the table, and say, God, search me? If you're there, if you're asking for the searching, it probably means you've met Jesus. You've encountered the Savior. You've seen the Lord high and lifted up. You've heard the seraphim proclaiming, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, and the whole earth is full of His glory. If the whole earth is full of it, I want my whole heart to be full of it. I want my life to be proclaiming the glory of God. And I'll tell you, that desire comes from nowhere else other than the Holy Spirit. So even if it hadn't happened yet, and all of us are still here, which means Christ hadn't come back, so He hasn't fully sanctified you yet. So we are still holding on to some of that sin. So if you got the desire, it's a pretty good sign, even if it hasn't been finished, that God is at work in you. And can I end with some good news? Romans 8, you get to the New Testament, it starts with this. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. How do you get acceptable? He says, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. If we're honest about the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart, they're pretty far from acceptable, aren't they? The meditations of my heart, God? That can be a deep, dark place to be, is it not? And yet, for those who are in Christ Jesus, when He looks at you, He sees the purity of His Son who is crucified in your place so you can be set free. There is therefore now 
no condemnation for those who have repented of their sins, believed in Jesus Christ, and therefore are united to Him by faith. That's how you get to be acceptable. And when you come there, He changes everything. And you can pray honestly and earnestly. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. He's the rock beneath your feet. He's the Redeemer who has set you free. He is your Lord and He is your Savior. And He's worthy of your worship. Let's pray. Father, thank You for this beautiful Psalm 19. Father, I think probably in 300 sermons it wouldn't do it justice. This is a beautiful declaration of Your greatness, Your glory, Your majesty, and our sinfulness. God, thank You that You're our Lord. You're the, you're, you're the one who's made a covenant with His people to never leave us or forsake us. And You have kept Your side of the covenant. You have continued to pursue us though we are quite sinful. God, thank You for, for letting us know about our sin. Thank You, God, for speaking into our lives in such a way that we see hidden and presumptuous sins, ways that we can see that we, we are far from You. So, Lord, we pray that even now we would encounter You, we'd find forgiveness and freedom, and that You would change us, You would transform us. God, thank you that our position before you, our acceptance before you is not based on our own righteousness, but on Christ alone. And so, Lord, we come to you today by his blood, by his accomplishment. And we ask time and time again for you to be at work so that we may follow you in faith. I ask all this in Jesus' name.